Thanks, you can be seated. Well, grab your Bible and turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus is towards the end of your Bible, Titus chapter 1. And I can tell you today that you will, uh, you will leave today asking one question or making one thought statement, and that is, wow, that was quite different than normal. Every so often there are just times where uh, we need to uh, go to passages and draw out of them things that especially pertain to things that are taking place in our church here at the moment and uh, uh, just in positive ways. And we're going to be doing that with this text today. And uh, the other thing you're going to be saying about that reality is, wow, we covered one verse today. Um, Yeah, we're doing one verse today. If you've been around here for a while, you know that's a bit odd. Um, But we're going to cover one verse, Titus 1.5. But let me just remind you, as we dig into this verse, that uh, last week we talked about four things. One, we talked about the Apostle Paul. We talked about his story and who he was. Remember, Paul, in essence, was a Christ hater that became one of the most important men used by God in history. Just an amazing story. Stanford, Yale, IU kind of graduate. <laughs> um, kind of the same. Um, but then he comes to Christ. And his life's completely different. We talked about Paul. We talked about Titus. And Titus, we don't really know for sure how he came to Christ, but Titus likewise came to Christ and was a uh, ministry associate with Paul. And we find him here in the island of Crete. That was the third thing we talked about was the island of Crete. And we'll talk more later in the chapter, but uh, in the chapter it tells how the people in Crete, they were successful in many, many ways for people out on an island, but they were also known for being um, liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons, as it says. Um, And fourth, we talked about the book of Titus. Basically, Titus chapter 1 is about uh, full-throttle leadership for Christ in a church. Titus chapter 2, in essence, is full-throttle people in a church living together, doing church with one another, living Christ with one another. Chapter 3 really is about God's people and a church living within its community. And we're going to be hitting that, but chapter 1 is so much about leadership. Let me uh, dig in here uh, to chapter 1, verse 1. Who's the first person mentioned? Paul. So Paul is writing this letter. Paul is writing under the inspiration of God. Paul is penning down God's words, but Paul is penning them down. He's not a robot. He's not this kind of situation going on. You're learning about that. You will be learning about that in your small group some more. Then we jump down to verse 4. To who? To Titus. Paul is an apostle. Paul was put into ministry, uh, designated into his ministry by the risen Christ. Here, Titus is an apostolic delegate. Titus, as we're going to find here in verse 5, is left behind on the island of Crete. Let's look at it. Verse 5. Titus, this is why I, Paul, left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. So, Paul and Titus are on this island, uh, Crete, and they are there, and uh, Paul... Uh, leaves Titus behind to put things in order. Let me talk about some of the words in verse 5 here that we've read so far. 
First, he talks about you might put. Uh, here they are on this island, and uh, Paul is left, Titus is there, and, and he tells him, listen, I want for you to put some things. By the way, put is an action. Uh, setting them, putting them into place. It's a work, it's an effort. It's a subjunctive form of this verb, which means that it has not just a momentary, but it has a future nature to it. In other words, this is something that's a task given to Titus that implies a process. There's a future thing that takes place. Titus, I'm leaving you there, not for a week, not for two weeks, but for whatever period of time, for you to put some things in order, and it's an idea. It's going to be a little while. He also states there to put in order what remained. In other words, the structure isn't complete. Uh, What they would like to see in place isn't fully in place yet. Now, with this, Listen, I just have to say, this so reminds us that God is a God of order. Listen, we do not see a God who's existing who's like, let's see, what do I do today? I have no idea what to do. I have no idea where things are going, and I'm kind of nervous about it. That is not the God of the Scriptures. In fact, we see a God who is moving all things in time just as he had set in place. Listen, God is in full control. He's never worried. He's never nervous. He's never out, bent out of shape as far as what's going to happen. God is a God of order. And he's putting things in order. We see it in creation. We see it in redemption. We see it in his church. God has always been about his people being a people of order. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians and basically uh, gives them a little bit of a lashing, saying, listen, things are so out of order there. (laughs) Get it in order. God is a God of order. And yet God also in this process, or Paul and Titus know in this process that things are not in full order the way they want it yet. I just have to tell you, that gives me incredible hope. Incredible hope. Because the whole Christian life is a process. None of us here are there. And if you think you are, you aren't. None of us are there. We're all growing. Life is a process. It's a walk with Christ as well as in his church even here. This has been a two-year putting it in order process so far here. I mean, publicly we're a year and a half old, but this has been longer than a two-year putting in order process. And there's a whole lot more yet to go. And I'm cranked about it. I'm good with that. My background, my entrepreneurial background, I just love the putting in order stuff. So cool. We're not there yet. There's more to be done. There's more to do. We've been about ordering a core team in the last couple of years. We've been about ordering a unified philosophy of, with Harvest. Uh, we've been about ordering a launch team. We've been about ordering a launch. We've been about ordering music. Listen, this just doesn't happen overnight. We've been about ordering our children's ministries. We've been ordering about ordering uh, uh, small groups. We've been about ordering the whole business side reality of a church organization with 500 people in it. I tell you, it's just an amazing putting in order process, and Titus is left there to put things in order so what are they going to put in order doug aren't you just wondering that i can just see it on your faces so what do they put in order well let's take a look titus this is why i left you in crete so that you might put what remained in order and the first thing paul puts here and appoint elders in every town as i directed you basically titus is left behind and we know so far he's left behind to put things in order and that also includes appointing elders in every town. Let me break a couple of those words up. Appointing. 
Appointing contains the idea that someone who has some authority is putting some things, uh, exercising his authority to put some things together. That's what the word is being used here for. Uh, Titus was not an apostle, but Titus was an apostolic delegate. The apostle Paul left Titus there under his authority, Christ overall, but under the apostle Paul's authority, he's left there. Titus was left to put in charge people who are in charge. That's what's being said here. The appointing, it's a process. It's not a point, just go to a city and go, you, 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 and then in the next city, you, 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 and the next one, you, you, you. It's a process. It's a selecting. It's an observing. It's a thinking through. It's a working through. It's a training reality, and it's an appointing. It's a whole process. So appoint what? Appoint elders. The word elders is nothing new in the Old Testament, nor the Old Testament. The term elders are used a hundred times in the Old Testament. It's all the way from the time of the slaves in Egypt. Do you remember? Those of you who've been around here for a while, that in Exodus, as we've been studying through that, that in the Old Testament, oftentimes, in fact, Moses would came and he would go to the elders of the Israelites first. Later on, as the Israelites, when they settled into the promised land, every city, every tribe had a council of elders. And not only that, but there was a council of elders over all the Israelites together. And the elders were there. They protected the people. They exercised discipline. They enforced God's truth. They administered justice. They were to know the law. They were to communicate it to the people and ensure it was obeyed. They were men of counsel and of discernment and wisdom. Notice it's also plural. They're to point elders. That's plural. There was not one elder. There were multiple. It was a team deal. It was always designed to be a team deal. And notice as well, they were to plant elders in every city. Very important. Implies the idea that there's local leadership. The design was is that Paul, as an apostle, was there for a specific period of time during this transition time of God's administrative change, if you will. If you want to get technical, God's dispensational reality, that's what's happening, going into the church age. And, and here, God is using Paul to plant churches all around and beyond Israel in, in the known world. And so Paul was an, was an apostle for a specific period of time for a specific purpose in God's plan. I do not believe there are apostles today. And yet also Titus is an apostolic delegate. He was there for a specific period of time for a unique purpose. Titus leaves Creed in a while later. Why? It was never intended for him to stay there. That's why Paul had left. It was never intended for Paul to stay there. Paul and Titus and Timothy and others like him were being used at a unique point in time to get the church started, the church around. And the design was they would come into the island of Crete, they would plant churches in these cities and so that they would be established with a leadership and a structure and in order then to be able to be what God intended them to be. And then they left and they went on. And eventually the apostles all died. They're to be in every city. In fact, turn to Acts 14, a little to the left, Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, uh, verse 23, right before that, Paul and Barnabas have been traveling around. Paul is actually stoned in, to death in a city, and uh, virtually to death, and, and basically then walks away. Uh, miracle of God. We see in verse 21, they go to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And then in verse 23, 
And it says, and when they, Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders, plural, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. That was the design. Paul and, and Barnabas are going around planting churches, and like he was having Tim, Titus do here, they're putting elders in place. They're plural, they're local, and they're designed to be uh, lead these churches along. So, verse 5, Titus is left in Crete to continue putting things in order with the churches, which includes uh, uh, appointing elders to each church. That's verse 5. And that's our verse. So now what do we do? Well, I've got a plan, uh, just in case you're wondering. Um, where do we go from here? This is a perfect place right now for us. I want for you to know that we're going through Titus on purpose because of where we are at as a church. Where we are at as a church is so common to what's happening there on the island of Crete. New churches being put in order, God beginning to work in them, things beginning to take place. And we are so right there. In fact, let me, let me just, if you don't know, let me just tell you the typical harvest planting process. And if you don't know, we are a church plant of Harvest Bible Chapel out of Chicago. Ministry of James McDonald's, the senior pastor there, and a walk in the word. Some of you may have heard him on the radio. We're the 25th Harvest Church plant. We were launched about a year and a half ago. And the typical uh, plant process, in fact, today there are two more Harvest Churches being planted, one in Raleigh, North Carolina, one on the south side of Chicago. And there are about 50, getting close to 50 harvest plants. The typical process for a harvest plant is this. A core team is formed, kind of raised out of a local area. That's what happened here. A couple here looked, was looking around for a church and was like, man, I know of harvest and just, I think there's, there's a design, there's a need for a church like this here with your philosophy, your commitment to the scriptures, your commitment to these other various things and we want for this to be here. And so they talk to harvest and is there a relationship that can be formed? And yes, there is. And, and so now, hey, we want to start a core team. And then after a little while, a, a pastor is selected for that core team. Karen and I, uh, at the time that this core team was getting started, we were up in Chicago area, and I was, if you will, we'll just kind of say interning up at Harvest in Chicago and preparing to be a, a senior pastor of a harvest plant somewhere. And so Kent Shaw, the executive director of Harvest and one of the elders up at Harvest in Chicago, uh, sat down with myself and began saying, I said, Doug, there's a core team over on the west side of Indianapolis that's going, and I just, I really think you ought to consider it. We didn't know if we were going to be in Alabama or like the Rocky Mountains, which would have been okay, and um, places. But uh, we began talking about it, Karen and I praying over it. And I got to tell you, it was just like, God just brought the last decade together. And I was like, you know what? That's where we want to go. It's not the Rocky Mountains. And we actually were pretty serious about that. And so we came here and then kind of got that going and core team is beginning to grow and then we added Nick and it's not common for the plants then to add another staff person or seek out a worship pastor and, and then they launch. And then really for the first year, it's all about just getting to be a church. It's about being church. The leadership structure here, at, here and other plants like ours in the first year is this. The senior pastor and Harvest Bible Fellowship serve as the elders. The church body, we're about doing church. 
We're not about who's going to be deacon, who's going to be elder, and all that rigmarole, sometimes mess that can happen. It's just about, let's be a church. But then as time goes on, like Paul said to Titus, Titus, put further things in order. Listen, now that you've had a chance to be able to be there and watch these folks and watch this church get started in this city, now it's time to begin to a process of appointing elders. And that's what happens after the first year to Harvest Church. And uh, we're working together to, to do that actually right now. And then after elders are put in place, then the elders uh, select deacons. And then in essence, we're not a denomination we're not, we're not sold, we're not, our, our life is not owned by them, by Harvest, but we're affiliated with them, we're a team of them, we're a plant, they're our mother church, and we love that, but yet we're also independent. They don't tell me what to preach on each week, and that's good. We get the, uh, I get the opportunity of learning. But I would say this, I do want for you to know that uh, we are in the process of this right now here. We're in the process of, at that point, in the planting stage of putting elders into place. This is why today is so different, because in many ways, if you're new here, this is so much about talking to the church family out of this text, and why do we have the kind of governance that we do? We are a church of about 450 to 500 people, all come together in the last year and a half from all different backgrounds. We have people who are here from Catholic backgrounds. We have people here from Presbyterian backgrounds. We have people here from no church backgrounds. We have people here from Baptist backgrounds. We have people from all kinds of backgrounds here. And so one of the unique things, there just comes times to where it's like, you know what? We're new. I want to be able to spend some time helping us understand who we are in how we work in our governance. You're not going to go home today and go, now I know what to do in my life this week. That's just not, and that's hopefully normally more where it's driven. But today isn't going to be that way. Today's going to be more this. Go home and pray. Go home and pray for God's blessing on what's taking place here. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going to talk more on the details but uh, later on, but one of the, uh, as far as the structures. But one of the things I just want to make mention is right now we're in the process, and I've talked to two men at this point about the, the two men that I'm looking at and been talking with Kent Shaw from Harvest about ask them to consider. I think that God has gifted them and prepared them to come and serve here as elders from within this body. I've asked them to consider it and they've um, prayed about it, talked with their wives about it and come back and said, yeah, we would, we, we would frankly, we're scared to death, but uh, we'd like to continue on that process. And so, they're filling out an elder application right now. and that After that elder application is done, then I'll get that. Kent will get that. We'll have interviews together on that, just sitting down and talking through. Are you gifted? Are you prepared? Is this really, I think, a wise fit for uh, this role? And I'm hoping uh, the end of September, the, the beginning of October, we'll be communicating with you, Lord willing, that for those two men and then uh, hopefully here the end of October and in November installing those two and harvest will come down for that and uh, just a number there i'm just cranked up about it and then probably in another year year and a half we'll look at adding likely look at adding one or two more men to that so we're kind of on a three-year rotational cycle and uh, i'm pumped and i want to let you know again this is not a normal sunday with what we're just talking about but i just want to let you know out since launch 
this is probably the next most important thing that's ever happened to you. Look at this picture. As you look at this picture, I love this picture for this series, by the way. Every time I look at it, I just go, oh, so cool. And I look at this picture, and I see this bobsled just cranking down this ice, and I go, that's what I want Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West to be for Christ, a place that is kicking it out for Christ, a place that is a team. Listen, this is about, excuse me, hang on. This is about uniquely gifted people together. United does not mean a bunch of lemmings all the same. Many come here, no church background. I love that. You bring a vibrancy and a freshness and questions that so many have grown up in church don't think about and have. And I love that. Don't we love that? Love that. Some of you have been in church all your life. Some of you have been trained in, in, in far ways academically. Love that because you bring things together. Listen, this is not about a bunch of lemmings. This is about a bunch of unique people prepared by God over time being a team and kicking it out. Why? Because we have a Redeemer. Now we look at that as a church. And that's why I have this logo here. But here for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this image from this standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. Because I've been around church all my life, both as a lay person when I was in business as well as in pastoral staff and, and pastoring. And uh, one of the things I've observed is, is a church follows leadership. And uh, if we're going to have a full throttle church for Christ, we've got to have full throttle men serving as leaders of Christ in a Christ-like kind of way. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're in essence going to be looking at this image from a standpoint of leaders here at this church. So did you notice in this leadership that they're unique in themselves as well, just like with the church? They're not all doing the exact same thing, but yet they're a team together, uniquely gifted, uniquely prepared people for a common purpose together. That's where we're at. That's what's going so with that image in mind, here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to talk about the big picture. I'd like for us just to talk about the big picture of church governance. Now, I know when you came today, you were like, man, I hope we talk about church governance today. <laughs> this is so out of what I normally like to be talking about. But it's so pertinent because Titus is putting elders in place. What's an elder? Let me give you a definition. In fact, it's at the bottom of your page, uh, your note page. Elders are a team, a plurality, a team of qualified, we're going to be talking about that next Sunday, a team of qualified godly men from a local church appointed to lead and shepherd that local church. Elders are a team of qualified godly men from a local church appointed to lead and shepherd that local church. They're not a secret order. It's not a power-hungry corporate board of men sitting around smoking cigars and going, aren't we awesome? It's not a congressional governmental delegation of manipulation and scheming and trying to get power play. No. It's not a ruling monarchy. They are not the owners of the local church and its people. We say that is Jesus. And that spot's filled 
They're not the most successful businessmen in the church gathered together. Well, if you've been around church a long time, that's oftentimes what ends up happening. Let's get those men who have been the most successful in business and put them in a room together because they'll know how to lead us. Maybe, maybe not. But they're also not the, the degreed vocational pastors as well. Now you see, you see in the scriptures, you see vocational and non-vocational elders all through the scriptures. And so we're going to be talking over the next couple of weeks on these elders. What are a team of qualified godly men from a local church appointed to lead and shepherd that church? That's what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. Today, I want for us to answer this question. What's the kind of the governance structure here at Harvest? What is the governance structure? So let's imagine that we're in class together. I would like to introduce myself as uh, I say this is this is so not me, but I'd like to introduce myself as Professor Doug. And uh, <laughs> it's just so not me. And uh, welcome to Ecclesiology 101 or the Church 101. And today we're talking about different forms of governance in a church. Again, this is so important for us as a new church to kind of put together. If you were to pick up a theology book, you would see there are four common uh, generalized external designs for church governance. Here's what they are. The first is minimalist or non-governance. The kind of churches that would fit in this category would be more the, uh, the Quakers and, and the Plymouth Brethren would fall into this. Uh, they would view and stress that the inner workings uh, of, the, of the church is led by the Holy Spirit, that he directs the fashion, and that no person should be put in kind of that kind of a role. I am totally behind the Spirit of God uh, uh, leading, uh, but we believe that the Spirit of God leads through people as well. So that's one, uh, and I'll say that we are not here. The second is Episcopal governance. Uh, that would be Anglican or Episcopal churches or Roman Catholic or Methodist. And if you've come out of that, been affiliated with that, you know it's much more of a top-down hierarchy. It's oftentimes where there's archbishops who govern over bishops, who govern over the priests or rectors, who govern over the local congregation. And in that fashion, where the pope who's kind of overall. I'll just say that that's not who we are in our governance. The third, moving through these pretty quick, aren't I? Third is Presbyterian governance. Presbyterian churches would fit in that. Gee, that makes sense. Uh, primary governance is done more through a hierarchy of representative bodies. At several levels. It's less top-down, but it's kind of more groups in a denominational structure. Uh, we're not e any of those three. Um, fourth, we would fall under the last one, congregational governance. Congregational governance. Now, some of you who know Harvest and come from a congregationally-led church would go, really? Because I thought Harvest was an elder-led church. We are. But from the big categories here, we would be under this congregational governance. Why? What is it about? It, it places the primary authority for the local church governance in the hands of the local congregation, making it self-governing and independent. Okay, so what that's mean is you look back at Paul and Titus, and you see Paul and Titus placed at a time to where then they're putting things in place. By the way, now I see why oftentimes people walk away with a hierarchy structural because of that. But I'll say this, 
Paul and Titus were in their roles for a unique period of time. The design was to get things going so that churches could be independent, self-governing. And so then they have these churches set up, and in essence, they're in their area. They've got leaders from themselves with what's taking place. Are you with me? I know this is a little professoring, and some of you are kind of like, so who cares? Listen, it matters a lot down the road. And I want for you to understand why we are who we are. And secondly, here's what I'm going to be doing. I'm now going to be talking with us about congregationally-led versus elder-led churches. The reason I'm going to talk about this is in this makeup of this church as we've gotten started, we have a number of people, a lot of people who've come out of a congregationally-led design or structure form of church governance, including myself. That's been generally the history where I have. What is congregationally-led church? A congregationally-led church views this way. The pastor or pastors are the elders in the church. Then there are, out of the lay people in the church, some are selected as deacons. And then in that, and functionally, how it generally ends up, I'll just say from my experience how it works out, is then the deacons uh, uh, work together and having a monthly, a monthly uh, business meeting, which is an error in semantics, ministry meeting together. And so the pastors with the deacons gather together. They talk about the issues of the church. They may have a vote in it. Onto what's going on in majority rules. Each person, then they then take it to the church and would say that the pastor and the elders unanimously or have agreed to bring to you this issue what color church, what color carpet we're going to do, whether we're going to add this wing onto the church, that we're going to be doing this ministry, that ministry, and everybody in the church has a chance to vote and they vote on it. Uh, so, in essence, a member has a vote in the church on where things go. That's congregate, you see, congregationally led. Uh, by the way, can I just say that looks very, very much like a democratic world today in our culture. So that's what congregational led is. It was a number of years ago that I actually began sitting in one of the meetings as a pastor and uh, assistant pastor and sitting back and watching month after month and remembering what the scripture talks about the role of a deacon. Again, we're going to be talking about those later on. But the role of a deacon comes out of the Greek word diakonos. A deacon is one who serves. Go to Acts 6, 4, and you'll see that in there, the apostles were getting all caught up in so many things like Moses was back in the Old Testament of having to care. And so they brought deacons in, and they had deacons. Deacons were brought in to serve. The role of a deacon is to serve. At Harvest, we view, and I'll be talking later on another, another time, the role of deacons are uh, they handle facility, finances, and benevolence. And so they're a serving capacity, not a decision-making capacity. If you read the books, if you see congregationally-led structures, you will come and see that again and again, the statement is made that deacons do not, are not decision-makers. Deacons serve. Yet I sat there in meeting month after month after month and being, making the observation of this. They are making the decisions. That is the reality of what's taking place. And so I began a journey to go back and take a look at this whole issue of governance and walk through the scriptures again and take a look. What is the, the form that we see coming through? And I think we clearly, for me, we see an elder-led form of governance. Why? Let me tell you just something again, because of so many who come from a congregationally led, I want for you to understand why I am full supporter of an elder-led structure. Number one, as I've already implied, uh, that in a congregationally-led structure, I think it's biblically stretched. 
In other words, it takes passages like Acts 6, it takes passages like Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 2, Ephesians 4, all of those passages are key passages that are used to be able to say, see, when we go back, it's the people in the church came together and they were involved on the voting of what took place. I have to say, you go back and you take a look at it, and I think it's very, very actually hard to prove that. Why? Well, then how, how is that view held? Uh, well, a couple reasons. One, uh, it's historically reactionary. It's historically reactionary. When you look at the time in history when uh, congregationally-led governance became a part of how churches uh, governed their churches, it was at a time in history called the Reformation for all, all practical purposes, where most churches were state-run. Churches were from a very hierarchy structure were being, uh, were being uh, used. And out of it, in the structures, it was like, no, this is not right. This is not the way it should be. This, there, there, this isn't the way it is. And so there's a reaction. And by the way, if you go through history, in the church and outside of the church, history reacts. And so out of that very tiered hierarchy, it came in and it says, no, wait a second, we've got we've to we've have independence and we've got to be about us in, and not have that structure over us. I think it's historically reactionary. Third, and a big one, it's culturally driven for us. I think that uh, congregationally led governance is culturally driven. Let me read a, a quote by Millard Erickson, Millard Erickson. Huge statement. It's not surprising that the Episcopal system developed and thrived during the days of the monarchies. Why? Top down. Monarchies was the system, monarchy was the system of government to which people were accustomed and with which they were probably most comfortable. In a day of widespread education and political interest, however, people will function best within a Presbyterian and congregational system. I want to tell you, I've had the chances over the years to travel to Russia before the wall fell and other communist countries in the past. And being over there, people function, think completely different than we do here in those days. When you live in a world where you have one vote per person representative, it's so much a part of who we are. It's so hard to get out of anything else to think about it. And I just want to say, when people look at it and go to the scriptures on this, we bring that present-day democratic rule mindset into some of these passages that then flow out. It's hard to get out of it, I'm just telling you. Fourth, it's size syndrome. Size syndrome. By the way, I just want to hear, I'm not mad about this, just so that you know. I'm just trying to, this is Professor Doug time, okay? I'm just trying to let you know the system and kind of my concerns about it. I think the congregationally led structures are size syndrome. In other words, it's small church mindset. When you're a church of 50, 100, 150, I'm just going to tell you, having everybody come together and make a decision, it makes so much sense. Been there, done that. It makes sense because everybody's on board. Everybody's there. And I want to be a part of what's going on. I mean, if we're spending $10,000, like, what are we doing? Because it's like taking everything we can to raise those funds. And people just care. They're interested They're with what's taking place. And, and yet, when you grow, I'll tell you, I've had the chances to talk to large churches again and again and again. And when you grow and you come to see what ends up happening is, is you grow out of that reality. Now, I'm not going pragmatic does not drive biblical truth. But I am saying I think part of this is shown as a church gets larger. I remember at the prior church where we were going and making decisions for $8.5 million facility and various other things going and people making decisions on it and voting on it. They had no idea what was going on. 
And maybe they should have been helped along, but I'm telling you, they were helped along extensively. And last, I'll just say this, it's a functioning hybrid. It's the deacon elder thing mixed together. Deacons are about serving. Angels are told that with the verb to diakonos, they're to, they're to serve. That's the role of the deacon. And yet deacons in most congregationally led structures are directly involved in the decision-making voting realities. So we're not a congregationally led governed church. And for a number of you who come from that, I want to try and help you understand why we aren't or why I'm no longer holding to that view because I think it's biblically stretched. I think there's a reaction to it. I think it's culturally driven. It's size syndrome and it's the functioning hybrid. We're an elder-led church. And you're going to have to come back for the next couple of weeks to really find out what that looks like. Sorry, but that's just the reality. Want for you to know at this point, there's four different types of governance. Minimalist or non-governance, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Congregational governance. We in our structure here are congregationally governed elder-led church. And that's where we fall and that's what I'm jazzed about. So next week, we're going to talk about, from Titus, the qualifications of an elder. It's going to be applicable to every one of us. The following week, we're going to be talking about, so what are elders doing? Because Titus talks about it. Or Paul talks about it for Titus. And we want to have a leadership team here that's qualified, godly men from this church to lead and direct and shepherd this congregation and have deacons that are assisting them so that we can be full throttle out as a team, playing our positions and cranked up about them. So I started out by telling you today was going to be different. And I think I, uh, I think I hit that mark. Would you not agree? Different kind of a day, kind of more of a classroom day kind of more of an informational day with things. But this is important. Again, we have 400, 500 people here from different backgrounds. And it's time for us to take a couple Sundays and to dedicate to this idea so that you know where I and we as a church are at, where we're coming from, and as well as where we're going. And I am so excited. I am so excited. I'm so excited to get these guys in a role. They're going to help me. They're going to help us. And I just cannot wait for what God's going to do. So would you pray? Would you? Would you please pray for us right now? Again, since launch, I think this is the next most important thing that's happened here at this church. And God has blessed this place, placed us here, prepared us, gifted us, and we are at a place to be full throttle. And we need the right kind of men to come in and help move us ahead because there's a lot of opportunity. Let me pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much just for your goodness. I want to thank you so much for your patience. I want to thank you so much that you've allowed us to be a part of a place that is working to put things in order. Lord, uh, we need your help. Because this isn't about me, it isn't about us. This is all about you. And yet we realize, just as what took place with Paul and Titus, that that includes a process of putting things in order. 
I thank you so much for this church family. My word, Lord, these people have been just so about serving and about having this be a place where Christ is lifted high. I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that would be the case for the future. I have no idea what's ahead, Lord. I'm glad you do. Give us wisdom to proceed wisely. Full throttle for you. In your name we pray. Amen.